long. We are actually wrapping up our summer series through Paul's two letters that he wrote to Timothy, a young pastor in the ancient city of Ephesus. And the series theme has been this idea of roots of a healthy church. The idea is we're going under the surface to sort of have discussions, or hear the discussion rather, be a fly on the wall, between Paul and Timothy, a senior pastor, to a younger pastor on what it takes to have a healthy church. And some of the things we've learned have been this. Well, it takes a lot of work to have a healthy church. It doesn't just happen. It takes conviction in the scriptures. It takes courage to live out your faith in the midst of opposition and hostility. It takes quality, godly leadership and godly members in order to have a healthy church. It takes a corporate trusting and dependence on God who works through broken people to help other broken people know Christ. These are just a few of the things that we have learned. And as we conclude the series and the final part of the final letter that Paul, the last letter that Paul would ever write before his martyrdom, what we're going to see in this text is Paul proclaim through personal experience this point, that no matter what obstacles you face as a believer, God is with you and he will rescue you. We all face obstacles, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. The difference is that the Christian will face unique obstacles simply because of their faith in Jesus and their unwillingness to conform to the standards and patterns of this world. The other difference is that the Christian does not face obstacles in life alone. Instead, they can trust in the reality that God is right there with them and that he is able to deliver them no matter the obstacle, whatever size or significance it is. And what this text is going to convince you of, hopefully, is that no matter what obstacles you face as a believer, God is with you and will rescue you. So let's read the text together and see how Paul makes his point. As we read it, I want you to focus your attention on verses 17 and 18. We're going to start in verse 9 and go all the way to the end. Paul writes, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. One of the most obvious features, I think, just by observation of this part of the letter, the end of the letter is the humanness of the great Apostle Paul. I think sometimes we as readers of the Bible and these characters in these stories, we tend to venerate them, especially those who display exemplary character and action. And Paul would certainly if we were making a list, be near the top of that list of exemplary characters in the Bible. And we do this, we put men and women like this on pedestals because, well, Paul himself put himself up on a pedestal as he often told his readers, imitate me, do as I'm doing with my life as I am imitating Christ. So he set himself up as this example, this kind of person that you want to be like. He is an exemplary character. However, what is important to keep in mind is that though Paul was an exemplary person, he was still a person. And he had needs and possessed weaknesses and faced obstacles just like everyone else, just like you and me. And in some cases, even worse than us. Kind of on that note, what I find odd is that many Christians seem to forget that basic fact. They forget that even the godliest person still struggles and faces obstacles in life. In fact, sometimes it's because of their godliness that they are facing those obstacles. They forget that God often uses obstacles in order to increase their godly character. But my point is that people forget this. And so when they see pastors or or life group leaders or, or elders or just mature believers in general, when they see them struggling, it's like a shock to their system. They wonder what is going on, but it's because they've forgotten this basic fact that though they are godly people or maybe have an exemplary character. They're still just people. And they hurt just like anyone else hurts. They make mistakes just like anyone else makes mistakes. They make difficult decisions and sometimes they don't always make the right one and many times they don't make the decision you wish they would have made. But again, they're just people. Something that is also odd to me is that believers also forget that they too are still just people. And it's okay to admit to your fellow Christian that maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're facing an obstacle on your own and you don't know how to get out of it or walk through it, but you also don't want to confess it 
to other people or get the support you need for fear of looking weak physically or spiritually, or maybe you just don't want to be a burden to someone else. And again, this is odd to me, why Christians bury these feelings or these experiences down. It's one of the many things I appreciate about you, Dave, one of our elders. Um, if, you, if you know Dave, then you know this thing about him where he'll walk up to you and say, how you doing? And then after you give your like pat answer, he'll go, no, seriously, how are you really doing? It's something that Dave is known to do. Understand your pastors, your elders, your life group leaders, those who you see maybe as mature in their faith, just normal Christians, um, they aren't perfect and they face obstacles both internally, whether it's despair or depression or discouragement, they face these things or external conflict, matters that are outside of their hands that that are a struggle. And they deal with these things just like everyone else does, and in some cases, maybe even worse. So we should pray for them. We should encourage them. We should tell them that we appreciate them as often as possible. Mike Hurtado, if you know Mike, if you don't, he's the loud one in our church. Um, he, uh, he did this for me just this last week. He just texted me, and, uh, and it really encouraged me that he would think of me and reach out. At the same time I say that, thinking about other people, I also encourage you, be gracious and realistic with yourself. Be willing to share with others what you are going through. through. Be willing to be vulnerable with other people who are also facing obstacles just like you. You are not alone. You are not unique in facing obstacles. It's better to bear the burdens together than all on your own. I say all of that because this is what we see the Apostle Paul doing and modeling for us in this text. The great Apostle Paul, the man who lived an exemplary life, was still a human, and in this moment, he was struggling. But don't be confused. The text that we just read is not Paul simply venting his feelings or frustrations with where he's at in life. Instead, even as he's confessing those things, Paul the Apostle can't help himself but teach something to Timothy and to the church. And what he's doing is he's encouraging Timothy and this church in Ephesus and everyone else who will ever read this letter, including you and me. To remember that no matter how strong your faith is, you will face obstacles, and it's okay to admit that, but the good news is that God is with you in the struggle, and He will rescue you. With that said, why don't we look at the text a bit closer and see how Paul makes this point from this personal confession. And I feel the need to warn you that before we get to the light at the end of the tunnel, and there is light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to take a few minutes to walk through some pretty dark things that Paul talks about in these obstacles that he's facing. The first thing that we see so obviously in this passage, by the way he frames the conversation, is that Paul was feeling a deep sense of loneliness, which is understandable. He is sitting in a prison cell, a dark dungeon in Rome. He's in solitary confinement, basically. Even a criminal, though, experiences loneliness in in prison, an an unbeliever, a non-Christian. 
But Paul, the apostle, a follower of Jesus, he is in there for his faith, and yet he's feeling a unique kind of loneliness because of that. And he tells Timothy in verse 9, look what he says, come to me, do your best to come to me soon. He repeats himself at the end, do your best to come to me before winter. Like any lonely person, Paul is doing the right thing and he's reaching out for human connection. Now, there's other things that are going on that are causing this deep sense of loneliness, and and we'll talk about that in a moment. But understand, at this time, Paul's greatest obstacle here at the end of his life is this intense feeling of loneliness, which is a strange thing to admit, and even more strange to understand how a person like Paul, with such influence, with such notoriety, can feel so lonely. And yet, we all know It's a common experience among many leaders, pastors, for that matter, among many Christians, to feel lonely. Loneliness is a very common and yet sometimes intense obstacle in life that we all face. That's the unfortunate news. The good news is that though we can and will experience feelings of loneliness at different points and seasons of our life, We, as Christians, shouldn't have to face the reality of loneliness. And what I mean is, Paul felt lonely, but he really wasn't lonely. He had Timothy. It says he had Luke there with him, too. He was lonely, but he had someone he could reach out to. And guess what he did? He reached out to somebody in hopes that he would come to him and resolve that loneliness. The good news for us is that sometimes loneliness can be reduced. It can be solved, maybe even altogether, by just picking up the phone and calling somebody and saying, hey, you want to go to breakfast? You want to go to coffee? Do you want to meet up for just a little bit? It can be helped largely just by gathering regularly with your church family. It can also be solved by getting more involved by joining a small group or coming to men's and women's on those Saturday mornings once a month. It can be solved by getting involved in serving in the church. I know for me, when I became a Christian, I went to a church every day or five days a week, and for an entire year, I knew nobody at this church. It was just the nature of the culture there. I didn't start knowing anyone or getting involved and until I started serving in the church. Then I met people, and and then that sense of loneliness went away. In this church, I know, I am confident that you have the opportunity to reach out to relationships. The, the, The question is, is you have to be willing to reach out to do that. That's what Paul is doing. He's reaching out. Timothy doesn't know what, what he doesn't know, and we don't know what we don't know. You have to be willing to reach out. And notice he also tells Timothy in verse 11, hey, when you come, bring Mark with you too. And he adds that he is useful to him for ministry, which kind of sounds like a little just side comment about Mark, but maybe you remember, Paul and Mark did not always get along. They were not always the close friends that It appears they are here at the end of his life. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, a ministry partner of Paul, they got in a fight in Mark or in Acts 15 over Mark because Barnabas wanted Mark to go with them on some missionary journey. But Paul was like, I don't really want Mark to go with us. I'm paraphrasing, of course, because uh, the last time we tried to get Mark to come with us, he didn't show up. 
So either he's lazy or he's a coward or something, whatever it was, Paul being the workaholic was like, I don't have time for this guy. We need to move on. Barnabas, though, he really wanted Mark to come. And so they actually split over the situation. And Paul and Silas went off, but Barnabas and Mark went on their way. Regardless of why the split happened, it happened because Paul didn't want Mark there. However, either Paul had grown or maybe Mark had grown or maybe both of them had grown. Now, Mark was someone that was useful to Paul for ministry, but someone more importantly that he wanted near him in his time of loneliness. So again, we see very clearly Paul felt lonely. He was reaching out to his friends in his time of need, but it wasn't just that prison cell. It wasn't just that darkness, and it wasn't just the reality that his life was coming to an end that made him feel so lonely. The darker factor was not the reality of this prison cell. It was the darkness of all of these other contributing factors that haunted his mind that made him feel so lonely. And he, he lists several things in the text that were contributors to that feeling of loneliness. Look at what he says. The first thing he mentions is this sense of abandonment. In verse 10, he writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, we know Demas was a ministry partner with Paul. He's mentioned in several of his other letters as a person who traveled with him. However, it appears here at the end of Paul's life that Demas, at some point and in some circumstance, decided, you know, I don't know if I want to be in ministry anymore. This looks kind of too hard. In fact, it seems like the Christian life altogether wasn't the path for him anymore. We get that by what Paul says about him. He loved this present world. Demas was the kind of person that Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower. You know, he describes how the seed goes out and falls on different soils. One of the soils, though, was one where it landed and it sprouted up, but there were weeds that grew up with it, and it was the love of the world, and eventually it choked out that seed that had sprouted in his heart. Tragically, there are many people like this, people who come to Jesus. They get excited about him and following him and maybe even serving in ministry, but eventually that initial excitement wears off and the truth of where their love really is comes out. Sometimes it can take, I don't know, a month, a couple of months, a year, sometimes 20 years But they see, and it's evident, that there was never really a change of affection from what this world has to offer and what Jesus has to offer. And so they abandon ministry, but sometimes Jesus altogether. It reminds me of the warning that John gave in 1 John 2. It's real clear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Demas still loved the world. 
And because he did, he abandoned Paul. And because of that, Paul, with this sense of abandonment, is experiencing intense struggle. And the longer you walk with Jesus and serve in his church, and the more, the more you will encounter this obstacle, even among those who claim to be Christians, people who you thought were saved but really weren't, and eventually after a short time or, or maybe years later again, the truth comes out of where their love really is. Paul faced this, and he's writing this to remind Timothy, Timothy, you're going to face this same thing as well, and those in the church, and, and even us. But as bad as that was, It wasn't the only contribution to Paul's loneliness. Next, he mentions opposition. Look again at verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. This is the same Alexander. So he's writing it at the end of 2 Timothy, but at the beginning of 1 Timothy. He mentions Alexander then, and this is the guy he said he hands over to, handed over to Satan in hopes that he would learn not to blaspheme. This guy was a constant thorn in Paul's side, a guy who couldn't leave him alone, someone who was there antagonizing him at every turn, going around the town, talking about Paul behind his back, just slandering him. This was somebody who was toxic to Paul. And, and, and though we, as Christians, We expect to experience opposition as believers and and in ministry, and we walk out our faith. We expect that to happen, and yet it still hurts when it does. It still hurts when it happens. Paul himself, before his conversion, strongly opposed the gospel and the Christian faith. He understood personally why people would oppose him and his message as good as anyone, and yet it still hurt when Alexander did this to him. And oftentimes, the opposition that that we face as Christians will be among those who knew you Before you became a Christian, it'll be a former friend, uh, someone you worked with, uh, maybe a boss or or a business partner or somebody like that. Speaking from experience, when I became a Christian, I I had a boss who let me go because I had become a Christian. I was working on a job site. Uh, I was working in finished carpentry, and the customer ratted me out that I had become a Christian. Him and I had a conversation when my boss wasn't there. And the next day, he brought it up in his presence, knowing what kind of person my boss was. I'll never forget that guy ratting me out. I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord he did, though. Because my boss fired me. I ended up getting a better job after that. But it still hurt. It still hurt. (laughs) The same thing could happen to you. And when it does, it gives feelings of isolation and loneliness, just like it did for Paul. But even that wasn't it. Paul mentions one more reason for why he was feeling so lonely and he was in this dark place. Lastly, he mentions betrayal. Look at verse 16. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. When I was a student, my professor, Dr. Morgan, 
shared with the other students and myself in my pastoral leadership class a list of ministry truisms. I've, I've talked about them before. Some of you may have heard me cite them, but I, lead, I read over this list of ministry truisms every year to encourage, to be encouraged by them. But one of the ones that he said, that's one of my favorites on the list, he said, people like to be liked more than they like you. And, and he would elaborate on this saying by saying that most people you meet, they just don't like tension. And they'll dodge tension at any opportunity. And they don't want to look bad. And he said, if they agree with you in the hall, they may not stand with you in the formal meeting. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It just means they like to be liked more than they like you. And people are like this. I've seen this happen. I've had it happen to me. I know it's happened to some of you. And if we're being honest, we've wittingly or unwittingly done it as well. This happened to Paul. And like the disciples did to Jesus in his final hours, Paul's ministry partners, his friends, abandoned him in his moment of need. When he was giving a defense for himself and for his message, those he thought were his advocates weren't there to advocate for him. He stepped forward and they all kind of stepped back because they liked to be liked more than they liked Paul. They liked him, but they didn't like him all that much. And friends, like I said a few weeks ago, nothing can make a person feel lonelier, lonelier than experiences of betrayal. When trust is broken and when you are vulnerable with someone and they don't cherish that vulnerability. People who you expect to be there when they're not there, it's the loneliest feeling in the world. And sadly, many people experience this obstacle in life, even Christians. But what I love about Paul is he's so gracious to these people because it's not like they're not Christians or even doing godly things. It's just that in that moment, they sort of bowed out. And maybe he remembered that Jesus was gracious toward the disciples. Toward Peter, he restored all of them back to ministry. He prays that it would not be charged against them for the fact that they betrayed him. I, I just think that's so great. But these were the obstacles that Paul faced at the end of his life. It was a general but strong sense of loneliness. He's sitting in this prison cell. He knows that death is imminent. He was so lonely. He's sitting there with only his thoughts to haunt him as he remembered these painful experiences of rejection from his close associates, betrayal from his supposed ministry friends, and opposition from this toxic person. Paul was in a dark place, literally and emotionally. And yet, in the middle of this text, in the middle of that darkness, Paul sees a light. And though, yes, Paul sought the company of Timothy and Mark, of these close friends, and yes, he wanted him to bring his books so that 
He didn't have to let his mind wander off into these dark places, but he could engage in his reading. And yes, he wanted the cloak so that he could be warm when winter comes. And yes, he wanted the parchment so that he could journal down some of his experiences and write these letters out to the church. Yes, he wanted all of those things to help him in this lonely spot. At the end of the day, what gave Paul the greatest comfort was that the Lord was with him in all of those situations and when he was sitting right there in that prison cell. Every obstacle he faced, he says God was there. Look, look again at verse 17 and 18. It is worth reading again. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He starts though by saying, the Lord stood by me. When everyone else abandoned him, when his close friends betrayed him, when toxic people were opposing him, Paul was comforted by this fact that yes, he felt alone, but he knew God was standing right there. Jesus wasn't sitting 10 feet back, scratching his chin, He wasn't hovering over Paul. He was standing right next to him as he was making a stand for Christ. And friends, know this, that whenever you face an obstacle by faith as a Christian, the Lord stands with you too. Jesus isn't the kind of person who likes to be liked more than he likes you. He is there with you in the middle of that moment of obstacle. When you make a stand for him, you can take comfort in knowing that he will take a stand for you. When the world opposes you, when even the most courageous Christian recoils away, Jesus never, ever will. He stands with you. And as he does, he gives you strength. This is what he did for Paul. Paul said that the Lord strengthened me throughout his whole ministry. Despite all the obstacles and weaknesses that he had, the Lord strengthened him. There was a time when Paul pleaded with God to remove an obstacle from his life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. And and he prayed to God on several occasions to remove this thing. And this is what God says back to him in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I I can say from personal experience, and I'm sure many of you can say the same, that I have felt the strength of the Lord with me in many obstacles that I have faced as a Christian, as, as a pastor. It's been a comfort to me in knowing that whatever obstacles I face, that I don't have to try and pretend that I have the strength to see myself or this church through that situation, I can just say, you know what, the Lord's got it. (laughs) He has whatever he wants to do in the church. What a comfort, what an encouragement, what a reality that we can firmly plant our feet on, that he will strengthen us whenever we go through an obstacle that we can't do in our own strength. And finally, Paul takes comfort in the fact that whatever he faced, the Lord rescued him. 
Every single situation that he had ever gone through in his life, the Lord rescued him like he rescued Daniel from the lion's den. As Daniel was sitting in there in in the darkness, just surrounded by lions ready to devour him, and the Lord, the angel of the Lord was there with him, and he saved him. But it's kind of a crazy thing to say right now, though, right? I mean, death was on his doorstep. Paul is going to die. He is not going to be delivered from this prison cell. And what does Paul say, though? That God will rescue me and bring me safely into his eternal kingdom. Even in death, God rescues us from our obstacles. No matter what obstacle you face, God is with you and can and will rescue you from it, even from death. So my prayer for you and for us this week even this year, is that as you look to God by faith, remember that no matter what obstacle you are facing now or you're going to face in several months from now, that God is with you. He stands right next to you, and He will strengthen you, and He will rescue you from whatever comes against you. Why don't we pray? We'll have a time of communion together. God, we come before you and What an amazing promise that we have that through every circumstance, every obstacle, every trial that we face by faith and trust in you, that you stand with us. And any evil that comes against us, any opposition that comes to us, yes, it's aimed at us, but ultimately, it's aimed at you. And you're going to take care of it. And we don't have to take vengeance on our own hands. Instead, you're going to justly handle all of those evil things. And you will work all things out to our good. And we thank you for that gospel promise, that hope that we have as your children, that you are with us, that you strengthen us, and that you will rescue us no matter what obstacles we encounter in life. Thank you that we have the church and that we don't have to actually be lonely even if we feel lonely at times, but we have a family, a body of believers that we can experience fellowship and company with. We thank you for all your grace and your good gifts to us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.